The podcast you're about to listen to is part of the Professional Casual Network. To find more podcasts like this, please check out professionalcasual.com. The Professional Casual Network has gear. Check out teespring.com slash store slash professional casual for fresh new swag. A huge shout out to our sponsor, beardeddragongames.online. Pick up all your local game store goodness from Magic the Gathering, Dungeons and Dragons, Pathfinder, or Wafurp 4th Edition, as well as terrain, paints, board games, comics, and more. Make sure to use code PROFESSIONALCASUAL at checkout for free domestic shipping or PCME10 for 10% off your total order at beardeddragongames.online. Also, a special thanks to Built Bar for sponsoring the show. To get 10% off your order and to help support the show, use code PROFESSIONALCASUAL at checkout or use the link in the show notes. So, hey, stop me if you've heard this one. My friends laughed at me when I said I had a hot date and they said she was imaginary. Well, the last laugh is on them because they're imaginary too. This is your host, D to the D, Dr. D, reaching out through the supervision-free source of Infinity Interfacing. I am joined today by my partner in Infinity, B to the T, Brady T. How is it over there in the universe of oppressive aliens, brother? You always ask how it is going, but not why it is going. Quite rude. You're right. I have, I'm, not being, I'm not being very sensitive, am I? Today on Arachne, we will be discussing the despicable Yu Jing Imperial Service. Well, before we start talking about the true villains of the Infinity Universe, we should probably uh, talk about the business first. Arachne is a part of the Professional Casual Network. If you would like to support the network, please sign up at our Patreon or purchase some hot swag at streamlabs.com at Professional Casual Network 1. We are also sponsored by Frontline Gaming, and we'd love if you use the link in the show notes to purchase your ticket for any of their events coming up since it really helps us out. The next event we know of is the Lone Star Open, as well as LVO tickets are still on sale for a variety of different game systems, so please go check any of those Frontline Gaming events out using our link below. You gotta have friends in low places to go to the Lone Star Open. That's a whole nother, that's a whole nother <laughs> thing. And we can never forget our sponsor, Mr. Laser at MrLaser at Squaresite.com. I have great news. We have a new patron. He is a digital nomad. His name's Derek. We all know him. We all love him. He's the king of events up here in the Northeast. If you don't know who he is, you're a bum. You're worse off in the world that you haven't had a chance to meet Derek. So you should correct that. He absolutely loves the show. He's always got nice things to say, and he's going to be on here eventually. So everybody just get excited about that. I'm really excited to go to one of his events and start flexing my podcaster privilege and be like, nah, you should really have this rule me misinterpreted my direction. You keep planning all your LARP events on the days that he plans his events, man. What the heck's going on with that? You sound okay. like you're him. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I am. Maybe I am. Maybe I am Derek. Have you seen us in the same room together? Yeah. Oh, shit. You know, it, we were. Ah, oh, the joke doesn't work. Yeah. Ah. Hollow mask. Well, everybody, it was a good run. Arachne's over. We're never doing this again. Uh, We've proven that we are, in fact, the stupidest people on the earth. All right. So today 
We're talking about ISS. So thankfully, Yujing's lore is much easier to find than Sea Army's lore from the last episode. Obviously, there was not a whole lot on the Umber, but we did the best with what we could. Today, when I did all the research and put all the notes into what we're about to talk about, I had to cut out tons of it because there's so much of it and you don't have the time in your day to go through all of the lore. So if you want more of it, there is, in fact, more of it. But we really cut it down to the good bits. So welcome. I came in and was like, oh, I'm going to add a bunch of stuff. And it's just like, kept scrolling, kept scrolling, kept scrolling. It's like, okay, I only got four hours to do this podcast. So let's just, let's just take what we got. Because, man, there's a lot of good stuff in here as well. Let me just say that neither one of us are professionals in being intelligent. We're probably going to say some of these names wrong because these are definitely very Pan-Asian. I have not trained in any kind of pronunciation in any language. Uh, I could barely speak English. So if we say something wrong, just laugh at us and it's okay. You don't have to tell me. I know I'm wrong. I'm going to say it. Uh, if I'm going to say it with a lot of confidence, but 100% I am wrong. Honestly, I'd rather hear the numbers that we got right, because that number is probably lower and faster for you to explain to us. Like, hey, out of the 30 things you said, you got one right. And it's like, hell yeah, not passing. It's you Ching. I'm pretty sure it's not you Jing, because I. I think I did. No, I'm pretty sure it's pronounced you Ching. I've always been told it's you Ching when I played back in N2, because I think the J in Mandarin, it sounds like a J instead of a Y, because the Y isn't, I don't think it's like in like a, like a Chinese language. But anyway, please just take our stupidity as ignorance and not, in fact, uh, being bad people because <laughs> we're just dumb. All right, here we go. So having given a, such a wonderful uh, intro to that, I found a quote that I thought was an excellent synopsis of you Jing in general. The state empire is made powerful by its components, the imperial civil service, the bureaucracy of the state empire, and the imperial service, the hand of the judiciary and talons of the emperor, contain a plethora of organizations, divisions, and units that will enforce the will of the party and the emperor for the good of the Yu Jinganese nation. The professional military of the Yu Qing empire, the state army, exists alongside these civil and paramilitary forces. Made up of highly dedicated and well-trained troops who are outfitted with some of the best technology in the human sphere, the warriors of the Jade Empire will fight and die without regret to further their homeland's cause. To put it into perspective, Yu Ching is essentially divided up into two and a half different parties, I guess. One is actually called the party. They're the civil service. The party, from what I can extrapolate from real world stuff, the party is what you could kind of consider is in charge of China right now, where it is remnants of the kind of the communist party that was laid in by Mao way back right after World War II. The party is still essentially in control of the country. The imperial service is essentially the pimp hand of the emperor. So the ISS is the military arm of the emperor. So the emperor and the party are two distinct things. The emperor is not a part of the party, but his whole job is to give the party legitimacy so that the people essentially see it as a divine mandate. In most, or I would say actually all of them, they were considered essentially gods. It's very similar to the Roman emperors. When they were in charge, they were essentially considered gods by the people and they were worshipped and yada, yada, yada. So in this current iteration, the people look to the emperor to see, oh, if the emperor has a problem with the party, that means the party shouldn't be allowed to be in charge, essentially. So it's a very yin and yang type system. It's based on Confucianary concepts where everything should essentially be in balance. So the party keeps the absolute authority of the emperor in control, while the emperor giving legitimacy to the party allows the party to do things that the people will accept. 
Now, the I say half because the state army is technically supposed to be a separate entity from both of these things. It, and this is actually a, sort of a real thing in real life, too, because like in World War Two in Japan, obviously, uh, Yu Ching is not Japan, but the Navy and the army and actually even in America, they're all like separate, distinct branches where they have like their own like agendas and yada yada. Well, the state army is in itself a separate entity that essentially serves the will of the other two parties more the party as opposed to the emperor because the emperor believe it or not they got a sectorial in the game and they're called the imperial secret service and hey we should talk about them hey that's why we're here sweet cool so that's a good background for what you can expect so the only reason that that's important is that the distinguishing features of the sectorials in Yu Ching are directly related to the lore. So the reason that ISS have access to things that the other sectorials don't have is because that's essentially more the party, more the communist party of the country. The agents don't work for the party. They work for the emperor. Now, I know in White Banner, I think it's White Banner for the Yu Ching, that one does have Adel, who we're going to talk about later. He is actually in that sectorial. But I, is from what I can remember, there are no other agents in the other two sectorials are only in ISS. So keep that in mind as we talk about it. So the emperor is the figurehead of the Yu Qing Empire, serving as a central point of authority and cultural representation. While much of the power within the state empire rests in the hands of the party, the emperor wields significant influence in the judiciary branch and its imperial service. The imperial service is the tactical wing of the judicial corps and is made up of paramilitary, civilian and criminal organizations, including some clandestine assets. They are maintained by the emperor towards the execution of Yu Jingnese law. The imperial agency with its imperial agents serve within the imperial service to use all means necessary to project force into the Yu Qing and the human sphere. So these guys are essentially given free reign to just get the job done. They don't answer to anybody but the emperor and bar blowing up something that they really should not have blown up. The party really can't get involved with whatever it is that they're doing. This means that the emperor thinks something is important enough to actually send his like direct attention to something. That's what you can think of as the ISS. So if you're playing the ISS and you walk into a game, the emperor himself was like, yo, this thing needs to be taken care of and you're my boy. So go get him. Go get him, blue. You're my boy, blue. What I like in a lot of ways is Corpus Belli, and you kind of summarized it a little bit at the beginning. Corpus Belli really has focused on how did we get from today, 2023, let's state the podcast, the, the Infinity Universe, the human sphere. And they really didn't shy away from trying to lean into some of those ideas of what's in the news today and, you know, maybe how could we get there. That's definitely one where you look a lot of like science fiction universes and there really is like some hand waving of like, and magic happened, I guess. And that's how we got from point a to point b but like corvus belly really has done a really great job in this game if you can see those cultural influences all throughout and and yuxing has that again especially like the party how the agents are going to work uh we kind of talked a little bit offline of it's like it has that really strong like cia feel of you know hey we're not necessarily like evil like we joked that like you know they're the evil bad like they're like the villains of the universe it's like well no it's the agents are really just going around solving the will of at least one of these two and a half assets and that can feel very selfish that can feel very quote unquote again that the true villains of the universe we all know they truly are because the aliens are opposing us i really like how they have sprinkled that in and you can feel that all the way through the dna of all the human sphere of yeah it started on earth and it got to where it is today our future not today yeah it honestly is one of the best parts of infinity is the relatability of it 
which I think is definitely one of the best things that CB does with their lore when you can find it, that is. So if you are playing the Imperial Service, you are role playing as the will of the Emperor. Here's another quote. This is where you came from if you're a leader of the ISS. The Imperial Service recruits agents from all walks of life and sorts of character. Most who wish to enter into the Imperial Service have an obvious pass, obvious path in usually as one of the judicial police. They are rigorously vetted and trained with one of several academies focusing on academic subjects subjects such as law, cultural heritage, and technological operations, while also being subjected to physical and combat training. Those who excel find themselves either in the Celestial Guard or the Imperial Agency. Now, that's kind of important because when you look at the sectorial profiles in themselves, the Celestial Guard are your like baseline like noobs. So that means that your baseline guy is already someone who's kind of a cut above the rest of humanity on some levels, where he's essentially gone to police academy and they've already vetted this guy. You're the what? The smallest fish in this pond? You'd be huge in that other pond. You jumped over. You jumped over to the big pond, the big leagues. Now now you're just a lowly newbie yet again. (laughs) Perhaps more noteworthy than those who deliberately join the the judicial police or similarly legitimate fronts for the Imperial Service are those who are brought in unknowingly or unwillingly. The Imperial Service maintains several different paramilitary and criminal organizations within its structure for the sole purpose of operating with plausible deniability. Criminal elements are often brought into the aptly named, I'm going to try and say this, Ozuziao, which means honorless thieves. This underground information network directly provides blackmail, activity logs, and further sources for exploitation to the Imperial Service. Recruits are often those who have been caught operating within Tian Di Jing, which are one of the big cities on the capital planet, or other large cities directly under the observation of the Imperial Service. Presented with the alternatives of a lifetime enduring servitude aboard orbitals or on one of the asteroid mining operations, either in system or back in Chung Kuo. So, quick interruption Chung Kuo is what they call the old place so that's essentially like old earth and all the stuff that happened before they found the twin uh shentang planet systems because much like you ching their planet their capital planet is revolving around another planet and they're in like geosynchronous orbit and again it's like a yin and yang concept many of those incarcerated agree to serve unfortunately the indoctrination process frequently involves several years of brutal re-education training and imprisonment that reintegrates the mole into the criminal element when this is completed they are released into the community where they are given specific tasks with dire consequences should they not be successful so once you become an imperial agent you've already gone through school so right now you're at the bare bones bottom There are generally considered four ranks in the military arm of the Imperial agents. It's important to note if you are more interested in the background lore of a lot of these things, there are Imperial agent ranks that are specifically like judges and legal, uh, like bureaucrats. Now, obviously, they're not in the game because you don't want to have a judge with a gun in the middle of of a war zone. Generally, it doesn't end very well. But if you're more interested in that kind of stuff or the criminal stuff, because Yuching actually allows a certain level of illegal activity from the triads that exist within the society because they think it maintains a like stable, like a stability that they can't have if they didn't, if they just constantly tried to crush the criminal element. So if you're more interested in that kind of stuff, the Yuching RPG book is filled with interesting things. And a lot of these 
different ranks and stuff that we're about to go over, you can actually play them in the game, which is really, really cool. I gotta say, one thing that would be really interesting to some degree is if they could find a way to bring in one of those, you know, judge profiles or something like that. Focus on Strategio, drop that ballistic skill down, or, you know, give them a shotgun or a chain rifle or something. Focus on taking a lot of the skills that are more about information warfare. And that could actually be like a really interesting profile that is counterintelligence or something like that. Maybe with the upcoming idea of like reinforcements and all that again we don't we don't know what those rule sets are going to be in having some interaction with that could be a really interesting idea to introduce non-combat individuals into the pitch battlefield let's get that judge out there because we really need someone with a radio who's good at operating and talking the interesting thing is is there sort of already is because the mastermind is in this sectorial he's the guy in the white suit with the gloves super fancy looking guy i don't i think he's from ariesta I think is what he's technically from. I think he's an Ariesta character. I actually don't know that completely, but he is in the sectorial. We don't actually talk about him, but he actually does have counterintelligence. He is the source of counterintelligence in this. Now, let me give you the preface on this. I have never actually played ISS. I've only watched uh, like one person play it. I didn't even play against them. So thankfully, I had a council of people who are very good at this game. I talked to them about what I found while I was researching this and I ran it by them. And you'll I'll even specifically say things that they found very important if you actually want to play the sectorial. Eventually, I will be inviting one of them on to the podcast to talk about playing ISS and maybe even Yu Ching in general. He's very, very good. He hopefully won't be too, too long, but he's actually going to be able to go into more of the gameplay aspects of it. Today, we're mostly going to be talking about the lore and just looking at some profiles in isolation, which is kind of this bog center thing that we do. So best way to start, let's start talking about Imperial Agents, baby. There's a bunch of them. There's a whole bunch of profiles for them in the game. I actually didn't know that the Hisen was an agent. I thought it was just some heavy trooper dude, but he actually is an Imperial agent. We'll get to him soon. But here is the description for an Imperial agent. Acting on behalf of the Emperor, Imperial agents in the tactical judicial branch are empowered magistrates, detectives, and intelligence assets, all rolled into one. Each of the four ranks brings them closer to the Emperor's authority with all the perks and responsibilities that such a burden carries. Now, if you want to think about these characters in other like lores and all that they are definitely very similar to 40k inquisitors it's hard to not draw that parallel they are very much control barely controlled users of authority that are supposed to have the general populace's health and safety in mind and some and all of them have different like thoughts on that whole process of how they should do it really they again it's like you said that inquisitor they can pull the card of I'm this agent. And it's like, well, there's only one person who could tell you what you're doing is wrong and they're not here right now. So I guess you got to keep doing what you're doing. Uh, but to kind of like bring it back to like what we had said earlier, the lore really does ground it in, you know, it's not that fantastical 40 K inquisitor, you know, innocence proves nothing. I'm just going to be tyrannical and, you know, for like the sake of it, it really does feel more like you're the CIA. You're going to go around and you're going to operate what you believe is best because you are the highest authority, almost certainly in the room, unless there's another one of you who has a higher authority. Uh, And I really like that. And again, these profiles really do start showing some of that kind of idea of these are the cut above everyone else. I like the cut of their jibs. Yeah, they got a real nice, real nice jib cut. All right. So the very first rank is the Jianning. 
I'm, I said that totally with confidence. Ning, the Fighting Eagles, enlisted rather than in- recruited. Ning agents clawed and scratched their way into their posts and they enforce Imperial will in the places where other agents fear to tread. Imperial agents execute the Emperor's will outside of the Jade Palace. Of the various ranks and casts of agent, the Ning, the Fighting Eagles, place lowest. Earning their positions through personal merits alone, they know that their standing remains volatile. Unfortunately for the Zhaning, this means that they must remain vigilant for those opposed to the Emperor's authority, but also remain wary of the opportunistic backstabbers from within their own ranks. As extremely competent operatives able to survive on their own in hostile environments, they are often sent to observe and disrupt criminal organizations that subvert the peace and oppress the Emperor's subjects. They rarely receive praise from the common citizen, however, as the liberal media outlets are usually filled with reports about their violent resolutions. Moreover, by virtue of being the lowest rank of agent, the Xianning usually perform their own dirty work, making them no stranger to both shady deals and firefights. <clears throat> so when I read the lore for these guys, they struck me as these government-sponsored, like, Robin Hood-type figures that they just walk through society, probably trying to blend in as they scout out potential things that could be impediment to Yu Ching citizen lives. They are super kind of interesting from a storytelling standpoint because they can literally kind of be anywhere at any point at any time just doing whatever these feel to be the ones that are the the most likely you're going to have a really negative experience with because again it could be everyone they're enlisted they're not going to they're still held to that extremely high standard but are also probably going to be the ones to not have that deep sense of like duty so these are going to be the ones that the average person is going to deal with the average one that they're going to have probably a good or more than likely a negative experience with these are the ones that are going to blow your apartment block up just to get to the guy that they're trying to get to. So the Xianning make for great fire team killers since they're aggressively pointed and they have access to breaker combis and all that. So when you look at the profiles, uh, they're kind of interesting. There is a definite uh, enjoyment of carrying around a breaker combi rifle. Almost all of the profiles that don't have a swick weapon carry one around, which is kind of interesting. Breaker can be interesting. It could be very useful at certain times. Mo- like... I don't know. It kind of dep- actually, especially again, we're kind of date this episode. The bioimmunity change just happened, where you can't dodge ammo types on your bioimmunities anymore. So breaker might be a little bit better now that you can't bioimmune out of it in certain situations and all that. I like breaker. It's not bad. It's still just a combi. But BTS, I noticed that it's either all or nothing since it only comes in units of three. So it's interesting when you shoot at somebody. And they're always either armor three, six or none or nine in the very rare cases. So it's like sometimes you want just a regular bullet as opposed to a breaker, but breaker makes it more tolerable. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, These guys are very, very the hacker and the mine layer profiles are probably the ones that I would take the most often. Mine layer is obviously super useful uh, for protecting your DC. And the hacker is interesting because it's the there's only two sources of D charges in all of ISS from what I could tell. And that hacker has, is one of them, which is super weird that it's on a hacker. But sure, why not? The The council informs me that they are great for filling out a Harris that you need a little bit of a punch and you get to kind of pick what you want. There's not a lot of specialist profiles, which is something that you're going to tend to notice in ISS is that there are some pretty solid specialist profiles, but they're like not quite where you want them to be and for some reason in my head when i think of imperial agents 
in my brain, I'm thinking, oh, they must all just have specialist agent, right? Because they're all supposed to be like big wigs. They're not. It's super strange. So make sure if you're jumping into the sectoral, you kind of pay attention to that because it'll it'll surprise you. It did surprise me. So when you're making teams, you could always use the Zhaning as the kind of last spot filler if you don't have like a direct idea for what you want to do with them. And you're going to be paying in the 25-ish point range. They're pretty solid. I like them. They're good. I think they're really good. The The one thing that strikes me, and maybe it's getting a little ahead, is the lack of veteran. Because it does feel, it's a similar like, complaint I actually uh, could have made a lot more in Onyx as well. Where it's like, hey, these guys who go out and they operate independently. And that really feels like, you know, like, hey, if, you're, if your big boss goes down, you know who your real big boss is. It's the guy back home. I can still push forward and complete the mission. And so that's one where, and again, that's getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. Uh, to talk about this profile a little bit, I kind of agree with you with the breaker. Is Breaker is either really, really good, or you're like, oh, can I just shoot you with normal armor because you're armor one in BTS nine? And can, can I just shoot you with the right bullet? And I, I tend to find most most often it's either you're, all your defenses are bad or your BTS is substantially better. I can't really think of a whole lot of profiles off the top of my head where it's like your armor seven and your BTS is like one or two. That's going to be Ariadna. And I have the weird, like, I have not played against a whole lot of Ariadna. So I guess I, I just haven't seen that one where it's like, I, you know, has that really big disparity. I usually only see the disparity in the other way where it's like no armor. Like, here's my flak jacket. Try to hit my bio. And I'm just telling you no. And I even brought up the bioimmunity thing. I forgot to mention that he has bioimmunity. So, hey, nothing wrong with that. So he's almost always going to be armor three. Look at that. This is, this is a good example of what you were just talking about. Yep. That is, uh, that's, I thought that's why you brought it up. I, I was giving you too much credit. I know we're both we're both idiots, so I got I to gotta remember that we're both idiots. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure that was uh, illustrated. I just wanted people to know. So the Xianning definitely has bioimmunity. It's pretty solid. I think it's great for its points. So next, Imperial Agent Adil Mehmut who is a part of the special division. Adil Mehmut, Meh, Mehmut, lost everything in the war. His family, his friends, his f- home, even his hometown, all were lost along with the city of Fuyan during the Paradiso First Offensive. And what was his most vulnerable moment, the Imperial Service embraced him and gave him a new home, new friends, and a purpose in life to defend Yu Ching and the rule of law. For someone like him, a member of the, again, I'm going to, I'm sorry, I'm going to mispronounce this, Yughur ethnic group, which is a Turk, ethnic group native to Xianning in real life. Again, another real life parallel. Uh, I'm not going to make this super political, but if you're interested in that kind of stuff, you should definitely Google the way the Chinese government treats the Islamic community inside of its country. I'm just going to leave it at that. So you should Google that. And I don't want to get any upset emails. Let me just tell you that. A politically suspicious minority who have to struggle to constantly prove their loyalty to the state empire. Such a gesture was twice as precious and he would feel indebted for the rest of his life. So much so that he devoted himself body and soul to the Imperial service. Determined to follow in the footsteps of, of the footsteps of his father, an Imperial agent who sacrificed himself to help his son and many others escape Morat fury. It was not easy. Far, it was not easy. <laughs> far from it. Because the service is strict. There are tons of applicants and the tests are very hard. Moreover, moreover, Adil was at a disadvantage. Since during Fuyan's ex- evacuation, not only was his left arm injured, he was also among a number of people affected by a Shes Vasti virus that causes the body to reject standard regenerative treatment. As a result, he suffers from a psychomotor disorder that affects his left arm and causes him great pain if he does not periodically inject himself with a special medication. This could have left him ineligible for higher offices in the Imperial Service, but Adil devoted himself to studying martial arts as a way of imposing his will upon his body. 
To this end, he trained with the masters of Baji Kuang, also known as the bodyguard style, because it was the martial art practiced by the bodyguards of the last Chinese emperor. In addition to Mao Zongs and those of the other important members of the Chinese Communist Party, all those who seek a position near the emperor of the, spa- of the state empire must study with the masters of Bai Kuang, who will not only test their bodies, their skill and their will, but also their commitment to Yu Ching and to the emperor. With the approval of these masters, no prospective imperial agent can rise above a certain rank. The masters who impressed the masters were impressed by Adil's determination and by his zeal to become the best possible version of himself, regardless of having to sacrifice himself if necessary in order to protect his country. <clears throat> so the interesting thing about Adil is that there are two different versions of him. So first, we're going to talk about the medium infantry profile. They're both wild cards, but the medium infantry version is considered a celestial guard for purity. And the other one's considered a crane. We'll talk about him in a second. I think that the medium infantry profile has two profiles that are actually pretty good. One of them has chain of command, which is just great because it's chain of command. And if you ever want to have a hot lieutenant, you better have a chain of command somewhere in the background. But I have noticed that in this sectorial, you can get chain of command from multiple sources. Some of them might be a little better. I have noticed that there's a interesting ability for him to throw down three templates if he's in a team. I love that. I wouldn't necessarily use a deal for trading, but you definitely have access to like a better choice of laying down a template on something that you don't think is going to be able to dodge away very well. But he also has a breaker rifle for if you need to dice them. So if you bump into, let's just say a good Samaritan and here and they're walking up on you and you know that they're going to try and dodge the template, you wait for them to tell you what they're going to do. And then you just blast them with the one that you think is better. So if they shoot at you, melt them with three templates. But if they dodge, you got a good chance of hitting them with a good old breaker combi rifle. And also very funny, he doesn't have shock immune. So if you do hit him with something that with shock, he will die. So if you're playing with him, don't put him in a position. Don't throw him out in front of any multi rifles or anything like that. Because if you do, you're going to be real, real sad. and You're going to lose your NWI. Also very, very funny. He has a minus six CC weapon and he's also a level two martial artist. So that's minus three to hit you. Pretty funny <laughs> if you ask me. I think he's pretty solid. I like him. He's fun. I think out of the Adil profiles, this is probably the one you're going to use. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting profile, and like like you were saying, it's a very much a support profile, which fits really well into that lore. He's he's really dedicated and going to push forward, but is really not your you know he's not your like oh he's actually secretly a tag in, in human form. He's very much a, like a really nice support piece for those to support everyone else to go out and do what they want to do. But yeah, I think he's good. I'll just leave it at that. So the next rank. In the Imperial Service, the Yi Ji, Yi Yi He, the Tactical Pheasants. Advisors, tacticians, and administrators, they lead task forces, engage in diplomacy, and spend more time representing the Emperor politically than other ranks. So these guys are the go between between ultimate violence and more like tactical, generally type thing that the Hisen and the Cranes are going to be. So they're kind of like, in my brain, they're more like really aggressive politicians in a weird way they're being trained they're at the they're at the point in their career where they got to make connections that's kind of the way i see it you'd rather have one of them knock on your door and you probably should say yes and if you don't say yes then they go get bigger brothers and then yeah they're not they're not happy to be there so the imperial agent pheasant rank the yi ji so the little babies have finally become big boys and they're ready to start tearing stuff up uh, if you look at the profiles, they're all generally around like 30-ish points, a little bit less, usually, except for the one that I really thought that was interesting. They have a Red Fury tech-aware profile. 
The council disagrees. I have really come to appreciate your solo attack piece models. They've really, they really just make me happy, especially as I've as I play more and more, I've noticed that you have the advantage of taking, you really have, do have an advantage. If you take a model and you just push it by itself up forward to just cause problems and you can spend all of your orders into this guy and just do as much damage as you possibly can. I am told by the council that bounty hunters and Sujian are much better for that in this particular sectorial. I should note that this sectorial does not have access to a tag, but it does have access to multiple Sujians. I think you bring up the three. If you're insane, I could definitely see I could definitely see bringing two, which means that I would definitely advocate you bring three because it would be really stupid and it would be hilarious. And Sujan are amazing. We're not actually going to talk about them today, but they are incredible. They are absolutely amazing. I think the only other profile I would probably take is the killer hacker, though, since you get a solid whip 14 on a model that can pretty much defend itself. You can put it in a team with a Hisin tin bot. You're going to hear that a lot. You can make a nasty little team when you combine them with at least the tin bot Hisin. You could also put in a Hisian with a multi-rifle. It's very possible that you can move this ball of chunk up and the killer hacking device pheasant will do a really good job of holding everything back away hacking wise. Because if you combine the ability to melt somebody's brain with a minus six tin bot, you got a pretty solid team that's pretty safe. And that's always really important. It's really easy to be like, oh, I have a killer hacker or even just like a hacking device plus. I'm going to do so much damage. And then one random person walks up and just blows your brain out because you got near repeater or like you can't move up the field. And so getting that minus six, you're like, okay, I can reasonably expect that I'm not going to get my brain blown out uh, just by like Timmy with his little Nintendo DS. This is definitely the guy that you want to stage dive a repeater with. So if you want a model that you just, the nomad interveters open to being murdered, this is the guy you send to go do it. You just run him up with the team, find a repeater that happens to be laying somewhere, and you start melting brains, baby. This is the guy you probably want to do it with. Great for the price. Okay. So next, we're going to talk about the crane rank. Jean He, the magisterial cranes. Far beyond the detective work of eagles and pheasants, the cranes have special dispensions to adjunct decisions directly from the emperor, cutting through red tape like a hot knife through butter, which incidentally describes their swordplay when pushed into direct action. <clears throat> So the way I view this is now the emperor knows your name. So he's going to think to himself, oh, this needs to be done. Let's specifically send Crane Rank Adil, right? He's the guy that has the name. Emperor knows it. And this is the point of, oh, this guy's really good at a specific thing. Let us send him to take care of a specific type of problem. Cranes are the people that you want to send on specific missions. You give them specific tools to use, which is, I think, somewhat displayed with their increased SWIC profile for the lieutenant profile. In my brain, I keep thinking that the crane, I think he's, I think they, when they made him, I think they were thinking, oh, this is going to be the LT. This is going to be the LT that they pick because it's going to be the hot LT that goes up and just kicks the butt of everybody that it can get its hands on. I think for the price, I'm a little, I'm a little whelmed. I wouldn't say disappointed per se. I wish, again, I, this is one of those profiles where I was like, why are they not all specialists? They should all be specialists. I think they're kind of expensive. They're heavy infantry, so they're hackable. I think their loadouts don't make a ton of sense most of the time. I think in a vacuum, I'm not a huge fan of them. I really love an X-Visor on a Spitfire, don't get me wrong, because it turns it into a pretty universal weapon. You can just shoot things. He's got pretty solid stats. I like BTS-6. That could probably help with him in hacking roles. But I just think that the Pheasant rank is so much cheaper and more universally useful for that. Because, again, you're not a heavy infantry wandering around. 
You, the thing we see in Infinity a lot is the more you go up in points, the more you really have to justify it because there's still always, you know, well, I, I have all these good stats. And it's like, well, someone just happened to roll one thing better than you on like the two dice that you both threw at each other. Um, and I, I kind of agree with you on that. There's so much cool equipment and skills. And then you go to the cost and it's like, wow. It's going to be really cool when they do what they say they're going to do on the tin, but you're only going to remember the games where the dude, like, poked his head out and, you know, one day Lamy with a Panzerfaust, like, one-shots him and, and, like, you're like, cool, I hate it, that was not a trade I wanted, and that's that's the, the kind of fear, and, and sometimes the the thing I see with a lot of the corpus belly, like, pointing, it's like, okay, like, we load you up with stuff, and you're like, oh, can you... I'll, I'll give some of that back. Can I, can I give some of that back? And I, I feel like that's where this person is at. It's, can I give some of that back? And it's like, yes, you can become a crane or you can become a pheasant. And you're like, Oh, understood. For when I walked into this profile, I was thinking, Oh, the crane is going to be like where it's at. That's where it's going to be like, yeah, what a badass! He's going to walk up. He's going to kill everything. He's so good. He doesn't have any viz mods, which puts him at a huge disadvantage against any dedicated gunfighter. He also doesn't have a visor which we're going to get to that in a second. Or I should say an MSV. He does have an X-Visor most of the time. Without either one of them, for me, it's hard to justify the price when you could bring something else like a Hessian, which we'll get to in a second. I think he's in a weird position where he's pretty good at a couple things, but he's not so overwhelmingly good at one thing that he kind of gets left behind is my general interpretation of it. The experts may be able to, you know, to say it better, you know, could give a better explanation. But I look at that profile and go, this person is, I put them on the flank that I feel is really weak, but I don't want to dedicate any any resources to and say this person's going to watch this one this one line of fire and be the one man army. And eventually they'll fall because they're not that strong, but they will make them waste a couple orders uh, for for someone to come in and cause that damage. But again, that's they're just a little bit over costed for that because that's, you know, at like 50 ish points. That's a good chunk of your army to say, hey, watch this one flank defend me. It's like, well, I need you to do a little bit more than that. Yeah. When you're in that poise, that point bracket, you really got to be able to pull your own weight. I don't know. I like them. I really wish. Like I was saying, and even you kind of mentioned it earlier. I really, I think he'd be better if he had a leadership skill, whether it be counterintelligence or or strategos. It wouldn't make a lot of sense if you went up in ranks because there's one more rank above them and they like lost that. So they like, you know, they went to the next line rank and they became stupid, I guess, or whatever. But I, I don't know. I feel like this is the profile that would need it the most. They need, it's like, it's like a, it wants to be in a leadership role that can also fight. It wants to be the hot lieutenant. That's what I see, but it just can't do it. In my opinion, or if you wanted to, to like really get to, you could give it like NCO, like hey, this person can can act in that role. Like you said, like so many profiles we've talked about that we were kind of like uh about. And it's one of the things I actually really like about Infinity. It's not like oh, this is garbage. It's just oh, it's a little bit not justifying in justifying its competition with other other things. If someone put this you know on the table, it still could do a lot of work, and you can really get that flavor from every single part of it. We just want more flavor. I want more umami flavor from this. I mean, he's got great stats. I mean, baseline stats, he's great. Baseline stats are... I, I would kill for baseline stats like that. Those are so good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially with your stupid drones. But <laughs> I should say, uh, one of the funniest things about these is that the hacking profile has two hacking devices. The one in the middle. So he goes into the coffee shop and he's he's going to hack into Fort Knox. You know, he's the guy with the lab, two laptops, like typing into both of them. This dude has a trench coat and, and sunglasses. <laughs> For sure, this stupid haircut. Yeah, watch out for him. If uh, you get anywhere, he, if you get anywhere near him, he's gonna hack your bank account, man. He's crazy. <laughs> watch out. All right, okay. let's move on to the next one. 
So Imperial Agent Adil Mehmut is the, there's, there's a crane, crane rank version of it. So he puts on some crane rank armor. And honestly, I think that this is probably one of the best sculpts that CB's ever done. I absolutely adore this sculpt. It's so cool. I actually have it sitting right next to me on my desk because I love it so much. It's only available in the Betrayal pack from what I remember. I don't know if they ever put it out in a single release, but that's I think you can still get it there. I don't remember if they're still selling that, but it's a really great, uh, really, really great sculpt. Yeah, you, I think you should be able to because I, I know when I was starting out, I was I ended up just getting the Betrayal book with the Kodali model because I didn't need the Norkius and I definitely didn't need the Adal. Um, so but I, I believe that it's still on sale unless that has changed in the last like two months. So the most important thing is, is when you put on crane armor, you gain immunity to shock. So now Adil is immune to shock. So you can run him out in front of all the multi rifles that you want and he can feel nice and safe as he gets mowed down like an animal. So. He loses one CC and he loses one burst on his nanopulsar. I assume that that is some kind of reference to his hand, if I had to take a guess. If you actually read the book Betrayal, he's, I guess you could probably consider him the main character of the book. It actually shows his whole hand situation. I don't think they actually explain it in the slightest. So I was very confused when it happened. I was like, okay, guy's got a weird Hulk arm thing. Sure, that's cool. But this is why he does that if you read the book after this, which I highly recommend. I really enjoyed the book. One thing you also can mention that he that he gains is he gains an extra wound. I'm not sure if that's from the crane armor, crane rank armor, if it, I'm assuming it like, armors you a little bit better against that heavy infantry, which again, really nice and immunity to shock. So you're not just getting punked. Very annoying that he gains the extra wound, but he does not keep his NWI for reasons, I suppose. It's yeah, I'm sure I'm sure someone could explain the balance behind it. I it would have been cool to keep it. <laughs> He is slightly cheaper than the other crane profiles. So I guess if you really want a crane, but you're okay with losing a burst on your nanopulsor, I guess maybe you bring a dill. The, the best part about a dill is his combination of sensor and specialist operative. Look at that. He's a specialist. Wow, that's crazy. That instantly makes him kind of interesting. Unlike the other agents for some reason. He... Like sensor is one of those weird skills where it's like when you don't have it, man, it stinks. But when you do have it, you're just like, <laughs> hell yeah, brother. And you get the plus to it which i think is plus six he's whip 13 so i guess you do also lose a whip which is strange i guess they did that for balance because now you can fail the sensor roll on a 20 sure whatever balance purposes or whatever they want to talk about there i like him i love his sculpt i would probably use him just because i really like the sculpt but he's not winning any awards he runs into the other issues that the other crane bumps into and he doesn't have access to spitfire which stinks. He does a lot of things well, but like all of us, you know, we'll, we'll say it so many times in wargaming. I do a lot of things well means you do nothing. It means you do nothing well. Uh, and you'd rather have someone who does one thing really well. But again, I, I oddly enough kind of like this profile, but I think it just maybe I'm getting uh, starstruck by the extra defenses like that are just inherently built into the profile. I like big, strong people who are going to, uh, don't don't give me that look. Make you feel safe. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm going to trail off. I'm just going to trail <laughs> off. <laughs> well, if you like really good profiles on heavy, meaty men, let me tell you about the Hassan Warrior. So the Hassan is the fourth rank of the Imperial Agents. The Hassan means the Immortal Guard. While personal security for the Emperor, they are often deployed as a diplomatic or military response force. The Emperor sends his bodyguards to act in his stead. And when serving in this capacity, their voices are like that of the dragon himself. The Hassan, you look at the profile and you're like, dang boy, you thick. <laughs> this guy is good. He's real, real good. I absolutely adore this profile. He's got an MSV baked in, an MSV level two baked in. Uh, he does lose a martial art. It's probably because he's so chonky. He's such a chonky boy. 
he gets a little bit better at dodging and he gains, I, I would imagine they all already have courage, but yeah, he's a, he's a great profile. He's got access to fantastic equipment loadouts. I think the real winner is the tin bot profile with the multi marksman rifle. I have come to really love the multi marksman rifle from the orphan with the MSV two. It is like super weirdly useful at the weirdest times, but just because you do get access to that AP ammo. If you bump into something that is just too chunk, you shoot them with an AP round and you feel a lot better for it. The biggest issue is that it is lower on the damage scale. It's one of those weird situations where if you bump into an Adil, it's kind of, it's weird, like having shock sometimes where you're just like, oh, cool. It's useful. Great. Awesome. Can't believe it. I also like the tin bot because it gets around one of your major weaknesses of someone goes, oh, damn, I don't really want to get into a gunfight with you. That's really scary. Too bad Timmy's got his Nintendo DS. Time to die, idiot. And you're just like, no, waste all your orders. And then you just walk up and, and, you know, pick up Timmy and throw him in a locker and crush his DS. And everyone's sad. God, what a nerd. Yeah, and the t- it's a minus six Timbot, I should say. It's so good. It's such a it's so clutch at the most precious of moments. You gain ODD or minus six minimatism essentially against hacking. It's awesome. And you also gain cover. That's actually a situation where I feel like you're like, oh, are you gonna reset? I'm like, no, I'm just gonna shoot you. <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm, blow your brain like, out. Like whatever. I'm gonna like I'm gonna wait, watch you fail your hacking program, or it hits me and I still and I just bounce it with my my good BTS and then just shoot you or do whatever else I was gonna do. I, I really like that. Again, I do think there's you know the argument for like you know things like heavy machine guns and such just for the the raw strength of that but my my heart immediately goes to tinbot just because i play a lot of hackers so my first thought is oh I'll hack this guy into oblivion and i'd be the saddest seeing that where i'd be like oh. only annoyed seeing the heavy machine gun i think if someone's bringing a scent they're probably immediately going to bring the tinbot one i can see the multi-rifle specialist operative profile probably being another Probably second in my mind, it's also great just to have a specialist who is just a monster that you could put into a team. Yeah, BS-14, awesome stat line. It's He's just great. Armor 4, BTS-6. Yeah, he, he's going to get work done. I am going to imagine that these guys are in vanilla, and whenever you say that, you know they're good because they're beating everything else in that, in the entire, in the entire faction, not even the sectorial. I think these guys are probably pretty clutch solo attack pieces if you're not bringing like the invincible army guys and stuff like that with other big heavy guys like i said it's really good i think he's great you should definitely take him i think he's probably your best lt option especially out of the things we've talked about today it's really good he gives you the plus one swick and you get an extra lt order i think if you go hot lieutenant this is the guy you want to go with just because you're going to have two extra orders to run up and crush with your bare hands if you don't have a specific plan in mind you might want to go with one of the other ones maybe you go with the celestial guard lt profile but i have been told by the council that if you bring this lieutenant profile you use the extra swick on sniper rifles because you're always probably going to have luna with you who's another one of those aristea models she's real nasty she's one of those models where when she works game's over but when she but when she doesn't do anything it's like she's not so expensive that it matters but if you need a couple other snipery type ARO pieces, this is a good profile for you, Lieutenant, just because you get the extra swick. In those missions where you just, the Lieutenants are known, and you can build two lists, you're like, okay, I, I'll I'll load up on that Lieutenant that's like, oh, damn, I just suddenly have two Lieutenant orders, and the person like reaches into their head and goes like, oh, it ha- that has to be a Lieutenant. I, I love when it's only an advantage in those missions, and they tend to really be like worthwhile in those situations. Some people just like violence. They're just bring it all the time. 
I guess I'm a coward. So <laughs> yeah, you. <laughs> yeah, you're probably. Yeah, you, you sure are, buddy. Take that. <laughs> Take that. You jumped on. The, you jumped on that one way too quickly. Take that, sir. <laughs> Stupid aliens. All right, so that is it for the Imperial agents. That's all the ranks for the combat arm of it. Anyway, there are other forces that the ISS are going to use to support the agents. We picked the ones that are the most ISS. So let's go over the first one. The Kane Wren Counterinsurgency Group. These special operatives work outside the primary state Empire Army command structure, although they are still answerable to it and receive direct orders. The covert Kinmo Siwang solely operate off-world in squads and small units working against other factions or operations that threaten the will of the Emperor. Naturally, these this often places them in direct opposition to the Ya Jin Jing, which I, I think is the criminal emperor. The criminal element, I think, of uh, the Yuching Empire. So at first glance, I looked at the profiles and I saw immediately that this was going to fill some of the gaps that most, in my opinion, of course, and I'm not good at this game. But if you bring this, it's going to fill in some of that midfield order soaking role that you want to soak up orders in the opponent's like first turn. What's really cool about the profile is that it has hollow mask and hollow projector. I have a feeling you're going to be using hollow projector more often than hollow mask given the situ given the usual situations because he does have forward deployment. So if you're in the midfield, you're probably just going to do hollow projector because you don't I don't think there's really a lot of options for you to hollow mask as and I don't think it really gives you much of an advantage because they're just going to shoot you anyway. But if you hollow mask or I'm sorry, if you hollow project and in my I love the boarding shotgun profile. So if you hollow project as, you know, three guys standing around, they either have to take the time to methodically pick each echo to shoot at or they run out and they're like, OK, I'm just going to take I'm just going to shoot at all of them. But if you have access to a direct template that's damage 14 because of a delicious boarding shotgun, you make it kind of worth it in ways. I love direct templates. It makes arrowing so much more, I guess, tolerable when it comes to close range. That's probably the one I would take, but I could definitely see arguments for pretty much all of them. You have access to a forward observer who doesn't love a midfield specialist. You know what I'm saying, brother? Preach it. I like every single profile here, and I think it really would probably come down to your list and what you need. I like the mine layers from an 8-inch up, especially on those ones where your deployment zones are 16 inches. And you can really, you know, hey, do you want to get across the... Do you want to leave your deployment zone? I'm sorry. Here's a template. Please put it over your model for me. But yeah, like you said, it, it fills that really nice gap of slow it, being that speed bump for your army to push forward, set the angles that it needs. Because everything else we've seen so far is very expensive. It's good, but if the opponent's picking and getting getting better angles, you're just going to fall apart. And this is going to help you, you know, get to those angles first before they can. The profile reminds me a lot of the Gangbuster in O12. I really, really tried my best to get O12 Gangbusters to work. I was I eventually gave up on them and I filled the role with other things. I think Hollow the hollow tech on both of these kind of makes this a lot better in a lot of ways because you do get the camo, the quote unquote marker status that hollow projector does give you. I think that's super clutch for the midfield stuff because now you're not just sacrificing a model by throwing it in the midfield and just having, you know, the enemy attack. So if you go second, their attack team's going to come get you. If you're not in a camo state, it makes it super, super easy. Now, something I will say that I've learned with the O12 Gang, I keep saying O12 Gangbuster as opposed to anybody else's Gangbuster. If you're playing Gangbusters or any kind of midfield operative, anything with forward deploying, it's not always a great idea to forward deploy. 
I think if you're more conservative with your deployment, then you can usually get a like a better order soak out of them and you don't necessarily throw away an order or a model in the process. It's almost like if you vaguely know what's going to come your way. So the other person's like, Hey, yo, I'm playing Ariadna, right? You know, dogs are coming, you know, dogs or a bear or some other thing. So it's not always a great idea to just essentially throw it out there. Be more conservative with it. You'll probably, well, I know you'll more than likely enjoy another model in your turn. In my opinion, it's probably better for them to spend more orders to get to you to kill you as opposed to potentially making them lose orders by harassing them as they're walking up the midfield. That's something I have learned. I've gotten a lot of good success out of it, that mentality. So if you're not going first, you don't necessarily need to deploy eight inches up from your deployment zone. Does that make sense? Okay. And if you have oiled chisel, chiseled abs, uh, you didn't listen to anything there. You tuned all that static out and you're going to listen to, to your good pal, Brady T you have eight inch forward deployment. You find, you find that eight on your ruler and you go to that very edge. There's no cover there. Don't matter. You got them chiseled abs. You're going forward. You paid for that eight inch forward deployment. You're going to use that eight inch forward deployment. What a man. What a man. <laughs> oh, he's so good. Do you, do you purposely just like don't put him in marker status too when you're up there just for the ultimate flex? You let him know like, hey, I could put this in marker status. You can put like the hollow projector out and you're like, hey, this is the one. They can rock, <laughs> just tell him what it is. And rock, paper, scissors. You always tell him, I always tell my opponent, hey, I'm throwing rock. Let them, let them decide your level of mind games. And you know what happens? You throw rock and you win. Because <laughs> they think you're going to lie. I'm not a liar. I've never lied in my whole life. No Four. mind games need to happen. It's their mind games. <laughs> it's their eight inches forward. This is my this is my dude. Those two fake hollow projections. Guarantee you they're not going to shoot the one you just said it was. Not their first that's, shot. Maybe their second. Brain. Not their first one. That's big brain play right there. You know what, yep. guys? Don't listen to me. Listen to Brady T. He knows how to play this game. You should <laughs> definitely do what he just said. All of this you have to be oiled though. If your abs aren't oiled and chiseled during this, like results may vary. That, yeah, that's true. What are you doing? <laughs> All right, so let's talk about <laughs> one of the stars of Yu Ching. These boys, mm, they got some good stuff coming. Quang Shi. Oh boy, you want to talk about some goodness. Other military and paramilitary units of the Imperial Service are similarly assigned of those who are trying to avoid terrible consequences. Units like the Wu Ming and the Quang Shi are extensive penal military units composed of military criminals and other undesirables assigned for re-education. While some penal units are comprised of genuinely repentant individuals who have taken up service to achieve atonement in the eyes of their fellow Yu Jingnese and the government, others require more convincing, leading to the formation of the more controversial units of the Quang Shi. In the end, all serve and die for the state empire. The Quang Shi are a controversial penal unit named after the zombies of legend derived from South Pacific myths. While there are relatively few of them within the operations of the state empire army, their reputation, their reputation is heavily publicized and well-known. Culled from the dungeons of Zijin Sheng and the prisons of the Celestial Guard, these unfortunate are political prisoners, corporate saboteurs, seditionists, and traitors. Most are repeat offenders, having been given numerous chances to re-educate and rehabilitate, but they refuse to do so. There are even a few members of the Wu Ming who continued their murderous ways off of the battlefield, earning them condemnation. The purpose of the Quang Shi is simple. 
They are given a target, a chain gun or similar weapon capable of supporting their weight of the target, and an explosive laden backpack that is enabled with a remote trigger. A handler observes the progress of the Kuangji soldier as it moves to its target, tracking it via network and satellite. And when the Kuangji is close enough, its trigger is activated in the target and the soldier are blown to pieces. The use of the Kuangji is often reported by the state media broadcast over Maya with great applause. Another trader is dead. Training of the Kuangji differs significantly from the Wuming and other units. Traditional squad-based training emphasizing teamwork and physical conditioning is minimal, with individual advanced operative conditioning taking precedent. The integrated networks and sensory inputs of a Kuangji are altered, and subdermal sensory stimulators are implanted implemented throughout the body in a crude, cheap lattice of, per, that provides pain and pleasant simu- stimulations. Using a modified HUD, a Kuangji is trained to rapidly pursue paths that are plotted for them. Rarely give an agency to select their own paths. When they deviate from the paths, they are punished. When they succeed, they receive pleasure. Their handlers often begin their careers as animal handlers, zookeepers, psychologists, and teachers of all varieties, and frequently have fallen in their own right. Their personal failure, failures forcing them to work as suicide coaches. Man, you want to talk about metal. <laughs> that is dark stuff right there. So in the game of Infinity, it is an understatement that you are going to be bringing Quang Ji if you have these guys available. These guys are insane for what you get. The Quang Ji profile at its base minimum, at the minimum, is you're paying five points for a regular order now it's not quite five points because you also have to pay for the controller for 13 it's probably going to roughly come out to like seven or eight ish give or take how many of the kuangji that you take definitely something i would pay because you also get a regular order from the controller who comes with a smoke grenade launcher who doesn't need who doesn't love smoke you know what i'm saying so the profile comes with a chain rifle and if you want to you can walk up and say hug me daddy and you hug him and then you explode And then you kill both of yourselves in the process. Doesn't that sound fun? Now, the council informs me, other than just being awesome sources of orders, you can either use them as pure DZ corner guarding. So you just leave them in your DZ to to make sure that no airborne shenanigans happens or anything like any dropping down or anything weird like that happens. You can also just take one of these guys run them into the midfield to be annoying or you can run them up to soak a mine or a mad trap or a panda or all the good stuff there the only bad side about the kuangji is that they do take up your slots for your army you only get 15 slots otherwise you'd probably see armies of just like 60 (laughs) 60 of these guys because they're they're crazy they're they're pretty good they really give me delami vibes where it's like you like you know in in other games, you'd look at that and go, these guys are terrible. Why would I take these? But in especially with the way resource trading works in Infinity, it's just, oh, it's again, essentially five points and it walks up. And if nothing else, I just put a chain, I just put a chain down and go like, you stop, make your armor save or I just traded nothing for an order. Like even if we're just one to one on orders, that order was probably way cheaper than your order. They're great. Uh, and there's also just no good way to deal with them because like, oh, I'm gonna spend an order to shoot one. Great. Like you're you're so happy to like, oh yeah. And now my you know now all my other people are gonna do what they want to do. This this unit is. Uh, it's kind of nuts. On the, on the on the tabletop, it's absolutely nuts. But there there is the like you know again we joke about like they're the worst. You know, um, they're, they're the villains and like yeah, this is pretty you know extreme uh, not pretty inhumane this is like extreme levels of inhumanity of like you know like comic literal comic book level suicide squad levels of just like yeah we're going to use our prisoners in in this way and that's you know 
it's some nice flavor. And I think that's like something you could lean into. Um, you probably do some really interesting stuff with the paint jobs on these. Um, and, and, you know, have, have some interesting stories about the controllers as well. I really like that bit on the, you know, they're also kind of punished too. So it's not like no one's happy in this situation, least of all your opponent, because again, hug me, daddy explosion is not fun. And the RPG book actually does even volunteer the idea of an RPG seed where, the party are just a bunch of Quang Ji and one of the characters is the controller. I was like, that is super interesting. Like you're sent on a death mission and then you just got to like, oh yeah, well, we're all kind of dead anyway. Pretty interesting idea for some RPGs. I was just saying, I was, I was a big, I was a big, big supporter of that. Yeah, that could be a very fun uh, RPG as, as someone who's done uh, some games similar to that idea where it's like, hey, you're not surviving. That's not the goal of this game. Also, any any Cthulhu game. Uh, survival is secondary, which is... Just put that out there. All right, so it's an amazing profile. You're probably going to see these guys in vanilla. You're de- you're definitely going to see them in ISS. They're probably, in in my opinion, they're either the first thing you put in the list just to give yourself the orders, or you buy the expensive stuff, put all the stuff you want in the list, and then you put them in last as the just last slot fills, kind of you know similar to like a flash pulse bot kind of situation or a war core. Probably going to be the probably going to be these guys. I will note that the other profile is you can bring a shotgun. I love boarding shotguns, as should be known. If you take the boarding shotgun, if you have the extra points, it is it is a pretty significant jump. It's actually more than twice as much. But if you bring that shotgun, you have a much more reliable corner guard because of the fact that you can shoot something that you have a pretty good chance of hitting with since you get the plus six. They're only BS 11, so you're going to be hitting on a BS like 16 if they're out of cover. But if you have a melee guy running up at you, most of them have really amazing fizz and they're going to be dodging your chain rifles. I could see an argument for bringing the shotgun. The shotgun also could be an even better trade piece because it's higher burst. It hurts more. You have an AP slug. It could be pretty useful. I really love boarding shotguns. That's one you have to justify more. Where the other one is if you slam them in, you windmill dunk them into your list, you don't even think about it. That one is you have a reason. And like you said, like, hey, this is here for X reason. It's kind of like a bodyguard, maybe for your LT or something, you know, something like that. I think he's pretty great. I think it actually is worth considering. It's not like a lot of the Morlock profiles where I'm just like, why would you take the more expensive ones? Because the, the core ones, if, in my opinion, are just better. But whatever. That's your call. Okay. And then the last one that we're going to be going over today is the Wu Ming. So Wu Ming means those without name. The state empire demands a high standard of conduct and behavior of its citizens with those who choose to engage in criminal activity treated strictly and experiencing tremendous social stigma. Criminals within the military, which includes murderers, rapists, thieves, saboteurs, and those who trant in their duties, to name a few, are sentenced to the worst of all punishments, the loss of their name. Stripped of their identity and assigned a number, these criminals and descendants are impressed into the service of the Wu Ming. Some conscripts are so ashamed and enraged by their new lot in life that they choose to commit suicide immediately after sentencing or seek further reprimand by assaulting an officer during their first days in the regiment. Those who stay on, stay on serve with one of the most notorious heavy assault units in the human sphere. The training of the Wu Ming is a harsh, grueling process that breaks down the conscript's identity and will through constant humiliation and degradation as they labor in the foulest tasks in the sewers, arbiters, and the hospitals in the Eugenese training camps. Those who show the will to persevere are then trained in harsh urban combat, knowing that they will be used as the veritable battering ram for the state army. 
no, knocking down doors with the corpses of their comrades and taking bullets from well-defended positions. Their uniform consists of deep urban prints with distinctive lines broken by long, large strings of numbers bearing their identifiers. It is by this distinctive uniform, the camouflaging, ruined by the stenciling in their names, that their enemies know them as the merciless Wu Ming. Once blooded, the warriors of this penal regiment are thrust into a complicated hierarchy of conscripts, with status being des- designated by seniority, seriousness of their crimes, and the reputation on the battlefield. Their actions are viewed as oxymoronic by outsiders. They resent the state empire for stripping them of their names, but over time, the Wu Ming adopt their new names, their numbers, and badges of honor. They fight with tenacity for their emperor while cursing his name at every turn, so long as the officers aren't around. <clears throat> All right, so the Wu Ming, I think, are pretty interesting. They also have access to a very great profile with a minus six Timbot. They are all heavy infantry. They have access to a lot of your classic Swick weapons. They're on a chunky body with two wounds. They got a pretty good BS. They are they're just the thing. If you want to just create a big chunky meatball in the middle of the field, what you do is you just get a fairly cheap team of these guys since they're give or take about mid 30 points each. They're like 30, yeah, 30, 35 around that area. You just take four of them. I would probably throw one as Yanning because he can be cord with them. He's got he's the same uh, keyword. And you just put it in the middle of the board. That's what the council told me to do. And they'll just be really, really annoying because that's gross. Remember all those complaints I had earlier about Crane where it's like, man, can I just give you all this extra stuff back and go down essentially 10 to 15 points? Hey, look, there it is. Um, it's nice and, and lean. And, yeah, I think you're going to have that idea of like these guys. The crane would probably be used more if they didn't exist because you just need that kind of like midfield bully or that like, hey, you put one of them and it watches the sight line. You know, it, it has that weapon that you need to, to fill a hole in your list. And this one really does speak to me in that regard of it. it's just cheap enough where it can start doing a lot of I can rely on it to do a lot of things I need it to do. But it's not so expensive that it better succeed every single game or I'm potentially just throwing the game away on a on a singular dice gamble. The real standout profiles to me are obviously the Timbot. Uh, it's, there's an HMG profile. Always really good to just even consider. There is a profile, a submachine gun chain rifle profile for 24 points. That is gross on a heavy, heavy chassis like this. Being able... In my opinion, any heavy infantry that can template is amazing because trading is so much easier. Because if you're going to run up on something that you know is going to template you, they can't crit you, so they're not going to be able to kill you. So you just run around the corner, you're like, boo, and then you just blast them. Blast them! So I think that that profile is something you're going to see a lot, even if they, it's not in a team. Maybe you see it in vanilla, I don't know, but I really like that profile. It's a scary profile, especially in any kind of mission where it's like, hey, I do need to go to the middle. And it goes, oh, you need to need to get within eight inches of me? Oh, oh, you what poor sweet summer child. Well, I'll shoot you. Oh, I got two wounds. Template. <laughs> <laughs> I think that... If you want to go full Ungabunga in ISS, this is probably the easiest way to do it just because you have access to five heavy troopers you could throw in a team and just start crushing things. If you want to do that, you might be served better by going to like Invincible Army or going to a sectorial that maybe does that a little bit better if you really like heavy infantry. It is an option here just in case you want to Unga their Bunga. So just keep that in mind. So I think that these are the profiles that best epitomize what the ISS is and how they play according to like a lore standpoint. I know that there's a lot of other stuff in the sectorial, but I think that in accordance to like what is purely ISS, I think we went over the core 
competency type things of what ISS is pretty much made up of. I do know that Sun Tzu is also in this sectorial. We will probably address him in a different episode. Sun Tzu, I'm not really sure if he's like directly in charge of the ISS, but obviously he's like a major figurehead because everybody's heard of Sun Tzu. You know, obviously. So I'm not entirely sure. We will talk about him eventually. It's super cool that he's in the game. But for some, but we just decided we didn't want to talk about him today. To wrap up this episode, I found a quote that I thought epitomized the thing that we essentially just talked about. Beyond the scheming of the party and the emperor is the true function of the service. Well understood by both parties, which is to sustain the status quo. In order to do this, the Imperial Service tolerates the existence of organized crime. The state knows that to keep the people focused, unified, and productive, there must be external threats. Pan Oceana, the Combined Army, and all other boogeymen stocking the good people of Yujing serve towards that end. The state also knows that to maintain power, they must control and manipulate those who seek it. To crush all those who seek illicit means of control is impossible, and it is only the temper and it will only temper the fiercest and most powerful of those towards action. Therefore, to prevent disharmony and unnecessary expenditure of paramilitary resources, the actions of the triads and other crime entities are permitted to a degree. This is far from pacifism, however, and the police force readily crushes any criminal activity groups that begin to get cocky and misunderstand their place within the state empire's carefully cultivated society. Man, what a world. What a world we live in. So what do you think of uh, what do you think of ISS, Brady? They... Are a lot more interesting. I think we both kind of came in with uh, some preconceived. They're just going to be a little bit more, you know, like very much coming in as 40k Inquisitors and reading all that. They come out with a lot more nuance, but also come come with a certain amount of like uh, they are kind of close in some way. You know how they treat prisoners and how uh, how that is being used. But overall, I think it's a really interesting thing to be leaned into. And like a lot of aspects of the human sphere, there's so much gray, which is why, you know, it's a great RPG setting and also why on the tabletop you can really find some really flavorful fun ways to you know think about your army to paint your army to even run your army uh you know we're running a narrative league in, in the new england area right right now you can find some really interesting ways to like look at it that isn't just what is the you know what is the best points to get me the best thing that kills the thing the best i agree with you i completely agree with you i went into this expecting them to be cartoon villains with very little depth and they were just like we do evil things for the good of the emperor right yeah totally that's what we're doing but actually there is a surprising amount of benevolence i think to the reasoning why they do certain things like because like in the 40k aspect i know we and we always keep comparing it to the inquisitor just because it's the easiest thing to kind of think of but like the callousness that an inquisitor in 40k does their duty comes off as i blow up a planet and i really don't care right well i think that a lot of the imperial agents would probably feel some level of guilt of like shooting an innocent in like in the crossfire i get that vibe do all of them probably not but i think that they're a lot more in touch with humanity that i think you get that it definitely gets lost in 40k most of the armies you know they like they serve their entire life killing they don't the, even know what humanity is. The quote I use, again, I've used it several times, which I think is like really indicative of the difference between the two is the 40K Inquisitor and innocence proves nothing. The fact that I was at all interested in you is is a sentence in and of itself, where I do agree with you where uh, a the majority of the ISS was like, no, I, I have failed by killing an innocent because that wasn't my goal. But if my goal was to kill you, I'm not going to bat a single eye. A means to an end, in a way. 
So that's ISS, lady and gentlemen. I totally think it's a super awesome sectorial. I was thinking about actually buying and playing them. Reading the profiles and all that, it wasn't really my... I guess play style, I think I've backed out of wanting to play them. I think some of their profiles need a little work, right? Because we were even talking about it with some of the agents where it's like a level of bloat that you don't want to see. And I think that there's definitely some opportunities to make this sectorial like more more of a thing. I don't, I don't know if that makes a lot of sense. But a lot of the ways that you're going to play the sectorial are going to use a lot of profiles that we didn't even talk about today. The, the Sujian, you're going to see. You're, they're going to bring it. The Sujian is just crazy. But I think that the sectorial is really cool if you like the style. It's much more tricksy. It's definitely not a, I'm going to run up and shoot everything and be better at shooting than you. It is much more of a, we're going to take away the thing that makes you good because there's just lots and lots of visors all over the place. And then we're going to, and then we'll pick our targets and get rid of you. Very like surgical tool is the vibe that I get out of them. So if you like Unga Bunga, this is not where you want to be. You could, you probably either want to go to IA if you want to play Yu Ching or you play Morats. And you just smash and crush and do whatever. But this isn't the one that you want to play. So this is the new segment of the show. This is the what we got wrong in the last episode segment of the show. A few people reached out to me and they every single time they reach out and tell me, hey, this wasn't right, blah, blah, blah. And I just want to make sure I bring it up in the next episode so that we don't uh, become sources of misinformation. I already knew this. For some reason, I didn't hear it when Brady brought it up. But he said that when you're using Bit and Kiss, if you let the peripheral die you can start to use bit as the as a member of like coordinated orders you cannot do that you can only use models that have never been in oh don't throw me into the bus i said you couldn't you said you could and i'm like i don't think you can do that did i say i don't think i don't remember that whatever it's fine uh, <laughs> it, don't do your that team, dr d uh just ignore what he just said so know that you can't do that no matter who said it so if you have bit and kiss and you lose the peripheral or you have any or like a gardo de assalto if you lose the peripheral they cannot do any coordinated orders and they can't join in teams or anything like that uh it should be said that this isn't really necessarily something we got wrong, but it's, I don't know, maybe kind of like a weird oversight. In one of the the non-killer hacking device profile, Bit actually doesn't have a hacking device. He only has the programs. Correct. If Kiss, if, if Kiss is a repeater, technically Bit does not have a hacking device. I also don't know how you would use the upgrades without the hacking device. It, it, it really feels like there was a typo, but like, as of right now, that would be, I would play like, okay, you can use those two and nothing else, but also don't bring the repeater, bring the other one. So this shouldn't be a problem. The other version does have a killer hacking device. It's written in the, in the equipment. Correct. And then it should be said that deployable repeaters can, you can't put them down with mine layer. I don't remember us saying that you couldn't do that, but. I think I said I never, I think I said I never would. I think that was one of those things where like, I kind of like maybe cavalierly was like, yeah, Onyx doesn't have mine layers worth a darn or, or something to imply that like maybe that you couldn't and it's like no you can it just especially with bit and kiss i don't you i don't think i'd ever see myself doing it there's probably is a situation and someone could tell us and explain like you know why why i'm a complete big dum-dum but i keep going like i kind of just want to throw my pictures and all that and i guess just having more repeaters is you know always good for sure and i know that with the observant initiates in bakunin my goodness i love that forward deploying that or that yeah, I should say that infiltrating mine layer uh, repeater deploying profile. Oh, the moment you stick any oh. kind of forward deployment or infiltration, take every word I say and throw it in the garbage. But just when it's all when it's already in your DZ, that like that for me starts becoming that like I technically gave my opponent 
in theory, maybe another way to get into my DZ. Yeah. yeah. And that like feel, and it doesn't give me any reach out. Like, yeah, I guess it defends my DZ better from hackers, but like I could put an Imitron, not Imitron, an Ica drone and be a repeater. Like I could just put some repeater network, like of actual physical ones that won't, um, I guess you'd have the same problem in that situation, but at that least point I have someone with a flamethrower. So I feel a little bit better about it. That's true. (laughs) So just for the record, I don't, I don't think we said you couldn't do that, but you can in fact lay down a, a deployable repeater with a mine layer because it is because mine layer sounds like it should only be mines but it's any kind of deployable equipment so it can also be bears and uh you know mad traps all that stuff well brady by god i think we did it again we just had a successful episode i really hope everyone listening does their best to avoid any suspicious looking imperial agents out there yeah this was a really great episode i think it's our longest one so if you want this kind of length every single time when you put those five star reviews in make sure in that comment you say hey we want we want more of that or if you didn't like it when you put that five star review in either way you're like hey we wanted a little bit shorter but either way it's that five star review and comment yeah guys you i we say it every episode i hate to have to ask but when we get five star reviews it really helps us out. You have no idea the algorithms, blah, blah, blah. I could really get into it. We should have an entire episode just talking about uh, Google algorithms. That'd be super exciting. But when you guys do that, it really, really helps us reach out. And we love you for it. Thank you very, very much. So you can find me, Dr. D, on Discord at Dr. D or furypainting at gmail.com. And you can find me, Brady T, on Discord at Brady T. Thanks for listening, Nomads. Make sure you keep it popping out there and don't let Aleph get you. It is never too late to embrace the involved intelligence. And don't let the ISS get you either. That, that would probably be almost as bad. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this show, check out all the other great shows here at the Professional Casual Network. Like what, Danny? I'll tell you. On Mondays, we've got the Lost Omens podcast, our Pathfinder 2E actual play, hosted by me, playing through the Extinction Curse AP. Also, streaming on twitch.tv slash professional casual network at 7 p.m. Eastern time, you can check out, oh yeah, the Power Phase, our Marvel Crisis Protocol live battle report show. On Tuesdays, the podcast version of, wait, did I roll a wild? Our Marvel Crisis Protocol Povlog is available. On Wednesdays, alternating releases on the Patreon, we have Settling the Southlands, our homebrew Wolfwarp actual play, and The Slithering, a Pathfinder second edition actual play. And on Thursdays, live at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on twitch.tv slash professional casual network, we've got, wait, did I roll a wild? Our Marvel Crisis Protocol Povlog. You can also check out back episodes of Elite Eight Showdown and the first 39 episodes of the Lost Omens podcast, the first 24 episodes of Settling the Southlands, and the first handful of episodes of The Slithering on the YouTube at youtube.com slash the professional casual.